all the places where he would go to serve Christ. And he wrote on that sheet of paper all the things that he would give up to serve Christ. And, and then finally he wrote down all the ministries where he would be willing to volunteer to serve Christ. And he signed his name at the bottom of the sheet of paper. And the next Sunday he came to church and at the invitation time he came forward and he laid that sheet of paper on the altar. And when he did, he expected to be filled with a sense of joy. And instead he went home from church that day and felt really empty. And he was confused. He didn't understand it. So he went to bed that night. He slept on it, got up the next day, got out a fresh sheet of paper. And on that fresh sheet of paper, he wrote down everything that he'd put on the first sheet, all the places where he would go to serve Christ. But then he added a few more places. And he wrote again all of those areas where he would be willing to volunteer, but he added a few more areas. And all the things in his life he'd be willing to give up for Christ, but he added a few extras. And then he signed his name at the bottom, and the following Sunday he put that sheet on the altar. But he felt just as empty as he had the prior Sunday. And so he went to an older pastor, and he explained his problem. He explained his situation. He says, I don't understand, pastor. Can you help me? And the old pastor gave him some wise counsel. He said, I want you to take out a fresh sheet of paper. I want you to sign your name at the bottom and put that sheet on the altar. He did. And his heart was filled with joy. I want to ask you this morning, do you have a blank sheet policy with Jesus? Do you have a blank sheet policy with Jesus? Jesus, I sign my name at the bottom. You fill in the blanks and I'll do it because you're my Lord. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57. We're going to finish Luke chapter 9 this morning together. We've spent a few weeks in this great chapter as we're making our way through the gospel of Luke. And so I hope you have a Bible in hand. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, please grab one of those blue ones from the rack in front of you. You'll find Luke 9 on page 1027 if you're using one of those blue Bibles. I also encourage you to pull out the message notes. We put some time into preparing those message notes each week, uh, identifying some of the key points in the message and some blanks to fill in some place for you to jot down some notes so God's word really can sink in on a sunny morning and you can go back and revisit it during the week. So please take out those message notes as well. Luke chapter 9 will be starting in verse 57 in just a moment. Today's message is on the cost of following Jesus. Although our salvation is free, many Christians don't seem to understand that following Jesus does come at a cost. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you for the privilege you give us to study your word each week. And Lord, this message you have for us today is so important. Lord, as your days were numbered between your ministry and the day that you would hang on that cross, as as you saw that those days were quickly approaching when you would go into Jerusalem for that last time, Lord, you felt that this teaching that we're going to look at today was so critical For your disciples to understand. And so Lord we believe 2,000 years later. That this teaching is critical for your followers right here in this room today as well. So we pray that our ears would be open. And our hearts would be soft and responsive to what you want to teach us. Even if it hurts. Even if it's uncomfortable. Even if Lord it's not exactly what we wanted to hear. We invite you to teach us today Lord. What you want to teach us. And all God's people said, Amen. 
Amen. So after Jesus had experienced that amazing metamorphosis on that Mount of Transfiguration, that had been just probably a few weeks earlier, he was up there on that Mount of Transfiguration with three of his disciples. He was there with Peter and James and John, and they got to experience Jesus in glorified form, shining like lightning, appearing with Moses and Elijah. We would think that they would come down off the mountain and that Peter and James and John would be humbled by that whole experience, but instead of being humbled, we saw last week that it went through their heads and shortly after that experience they begin arguing with the other nine apostles about who's going to be the greatest in Jesus's kingdom they want to know who is going to be the greatest and Jesus as we saw last week he he took a little child and with his gentle rebuke he puts the child in front of them and makes it clear that he who is least among you all he is the greatest or as Jesus put it in Mark chapter 9 verse 35 if anyone wants to be first he must be the very last and the servant of all. So after having spent around two years, night and day with Jesus, walking around all over Galilee, all over Judea, even in Samaria, to Jerusalem, back and forth multiple times, after some two years of following Jesus, Jesus' disciples still didn't get it. They, they still somehow thought that following Jesus was somehow going to make them rich and powerful. Somehow following Jesus was going to make them great and would allow them to rule over everyone else. But Jesus let them know that quite the opposite is true. Following Jesus is about pursuing a life of humble service to Christ and others. Following Jesus is about being the first to volunteer to be last. And that's not very appealing to many people who thought that Jesus was going to set up some military kingdom And they would have gold thrones on their head and the gold swords in their hands. And they would have all the wealth that they could ever imagine. That didn't sink in too well with James and John because they're in the next few verses after that Mount of Transfiguration experience. They're arguing back and forth about who's going to be the greatest. And then after that, they're chewing out a guy who was driving out demons in Jesus' name because he wasn't one of the twelve. And so Jesus had to correct them for that. And then on the heels of doing that, as we saw last week, when Samaritans wouldn't accept them into their town, they said, hey, should we call down fire from heaven? Should we? What do you think, Kaylee? What do you think, Sophia? Not a great idea we found out, right? Should we call down fire because these people aren't inviting us in? And Jesus says, you guys just don't get it. He rebuked them again. So it just wasn't sinking in with the disciples. It's as plain as day. James and John and the other disciples, they were clueless. They didn't understand what following Jesus is really about. But in verses 57 through 62 here, Luke records for us three quick conversations that Jesus had with three different men. And I want you to pay close attention to what Jesus will teach these three men because it's so important for what he wants to teach us today. It's going to have these three different conversations, very short conversations, just two verses each with these three different men to help clarify for his 12 apostles and for us what Jesus expects of his followers. So if you've got your hand out there, the first blank to fill in, the first gentleman that he speaks to, man number one, is in verses 57 and 58, and he's going to teach him that a complete sacrifice of my possessions is what he expects, a complete sacrifice of my possessions. Look at verses 57 and 58 there. As they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. 
Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. No place to lay his head. You probably remember the story in Luke chapter uh, 18. Luke records for us that conversation between Jesus and a rich young ruler. And remember that rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? I, I want to go to heaven. What do I need to do? And Jesus says, well, you need to make sure you obey those Ten Commandments. You know, honor your father and mother and do not steal and do not kill. And, and the man is so excited. He says, yeah, I've done all those things. What else? And Jesus says, well, there's just one other thing. I need you to go home, sell everything you have, give all the money and all the proceeds to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And remember what happened to that man? He went away sad because he had much wealth. And that man chose his money over Jesus. And for 2,000 years, Christians have asked the question, does Jesus expect the same thing from me? Jesus told that man on that day, sell everything you own, give all the money to the poor, then come follow me. Does Jesus expect me to do the same thing? It's a good question. It's a good question. And here's the answer. The answer is, it depends. It depends. The answer is maybe. You see, it depends on what God is calling you to do and whether or not your heart is too wrapped up in your stuff. If your stuff is getting in the way of following Jesus, then Jesus will likely ask you to get rid of the stuff that has turned into an idol in your life. He'll likely do it if it's turned into an idol. That's what had happened for that rich young man. That was his highest priority, and that became very clear when Jesus said, pick one of the two, your stuff or me. And it was clear he had an idol in his life because he picked his stuff. It was more important to him than Jesus. Now we take a closer look here at chapter 9 of Luke, verses 57 and 58. As, as Jesus and his 12 apostles were walking down the road on a certain day, this man comes up to him, uh, said something to Jesus that we would think was really good news. He said, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. That sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds like a wonderful thing for a stranger to come up and say to Jesus. Jesus, whether you go to Capernaum or whether you go to Jericho or go to Jerusalem or even to Samaria, wherever you go, it doesn't matter. I'll follow you. But evidently the man's promise to Jesus wasn't all it was cracked up to be because Jesus wasn't too enthusiastic with his response. Jesus responded by saying, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So what's Jesus' point? What's he getting at? His point seems to have been something like this. Friend, I don't think you understand what you're saying. I really don't think you understand what you're saying you're willing to do. You see, I'm homeless I've been homeless for the last several years, and I have no intention of not being homeless in the days to come. I move from town to town, wherever God the Father sends me, I stay with whomever is willing to take me in. So if you're serious about following me, you'll need to do the same. You'll have to give up your hometown, you'll have to give up your home, 
And most importantly, you'll have to move past this notion that this world will ever be your home. Because if you're a follower of me, this world will not be your home. You're just a passing through. Your home will now be in heaven. You will never be at home here on earth. This will be your temporary residence. And your temporary residence here on earth will be wherever God calls you to be. Now, what do you say? You want to join in with me? You could say it another way. Jesus was saying to the man, before you decide whether or not to follow me, you need to count the cost. You need to count the cost. I'm homeless. So if you follow me, you'll be homeless too. Count the cost. Count the cost. I don't pull a steady paycheck because I'm completely focused on doing full-time ministry. So if you follow me, you won't have a steady paycheck either. Count the cost. I'm not pulling around a U-Haul behind my 12 disciples filled with all my stuff because I don't have all this stuff. I've got basically the shirt on my back. I've got this cloak. I've got this tunic. I've got these sandals. And in a few months, I won't have those either when I'm hanging on a cross because they're going to take those from me too. I've got nothing. So if you're going to follow me, you can't pull a U-Haul behind you either with all your stuff. doesn't work that way. You have to count the cost. It seems safe to assume that this man, after hearing Jesus' words, counted the cost. And he said, like the rich young ruler, thanks but no thanks. He didn't have a blank sheet policy with Jesus. Well, Jesus has a second conversation with a second man in verses 59 and 60. That first man, it boiled down to this, a complete sacrifice of my possessions. The second conversation, verses 59 to 60, boils down to this. This man needed to have a complete devotion to Jesus alone. A complete devotion to Jesus alone. This is what we read in those verses, starting in 59. Jesus said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Hmm. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Do you, like me, think that Jesus' response is a little bit rude? Let's be honest. Sounds rude to me. Can you imagine ever saying that to a friend? Someone comes up to you and says, Thanks so much for inviting me to your house next Saturday. I really appreciate you offering me you know, to come over to your house for lunch, but uh, I'm sorry I can't be there because my dad died and his funeral's on Saturday. If a friend said that to you, could you ever in a million years imagine you saying, forget your dad. Let some other deadbeat family member take care of his funeral. You come over to my house. Would you ever say that to somebody? Of course not. Then how come Jesus said it to this guy? Well, Jesus' words to him weren't quite as harsh as they sound to our ears today. You see, in those days... When someone said, I need to bury my father, that was kind of a colloquialism. It was an expression that referred to the whole process of taking care of an elderly father. When the time came that that elderly father was completely dependent on a caregiver, you would take care of that father who needed a caregiver. And then when your father died, you would take care of the funeral arrangements and then disperse his estate as he had asked before he died. And so it was the whole process So what this man, in essence, was saying to Jesus was, uh, uh, Jesus, I'm not ready to follow you now. In all likelihood, 
not only was his father still alive, in all likelihood his father wasn't even on his deathbed. And so he was asking for an indefinite delay in following Jesus. He said, Jesus, sure I'll follow you, but I just need a few weeks to button up a few things at home. Just a few weeks. It shouldn't take more than a few months. It really shouldn't take more than a few months, and most a few years. But Jesus, as soon as I do that and button things up, you better believe I'm there for you. Unlike Peter and Andrew and James and John, who immediately left their fishing nets and their livelihood and their families to follow Jesus, this man was not quite so willing. He said, not now, Jesus. I'm not ready to follow you yet. So with that understanding in mind, let's look again at Jesus' response. Jesus responds by saying, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So what's Jesus saying? Well, Jesus is using a play on words here. Throughout his ministry years, and even today, Jesus' highest priority is always our spiritual health, not our physical health, right? Okay. So sometimes we'll claim that Old Testament verse in Isaiah, by your stripes we are healed. And at times we latch onto that for physical healing. But the primary meaning of that verse has always been and always will be spiritual. Jesus' greatest concern is our spiritual health. Because our spiritual health will last for eternity, our physical health will at best last a hundred years. And so Jesus' concern is always the spiritual. He's more concerned with those who are spiritually dying than he is with those who are physically dying. First and foremost, he came to bring this sin-cursed world spiritual life, not physical life. Therefore, Jesus' message to the man here in verse 60 as he's having this play on words is, is basically boiling down to this. He's saying, let the spiritually dead bury their own physically dead. You with me so far? Let the spiritually dead bury their own physically dead. But you go and proclaim the spiritual kingdom of God to this physical world that needs to understand that the physical is not nearly as important as the spiritual. The world needs to hear the gospel much more than your father needs to hear your eulogy. So what seems so harsh to our modern ears when we first hear it is actually a pretty strong, compelling statement that this man desperately needed to hear. Jesus' message to the man here in verse 60 was, Let the spiritually dead bury their own physically dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom. Jesus' response to this man was about realigning his priorities. Taking care of his father was not a bad thing, was it? Are you saying, Dane, are you saying, Jesus, that it's a bad thing to take care of your ailing father? No, it's not a bad thing at all. It's a good thing. But what Jesus is getting at is the problem is that sometimes the good thing is not the best thing. The good thing, oftentimes, is not the most important thing. As we've learned before in studying God's Word together here at FCC, oftentimes what is good is the enemy of what is best. Amen? Never forget that. Never forget that. No matter what stage of life you're in, whether you're in high school and college is a year or two or three years away, 
whether you're in college and you're looking to your career in a day or two, whether you're a young adult getting married and starting your family together and making those decisions for your kids, where they'll go to school, what sports they'll join, what church you're going to be a part of, as you're getting older in life and you're making those decisions about whatever it may be, no matter what stage of life you're on, never forget what is good. It is oftentimes the enemy of what is best. Christians fill their lives with all sorts of good things. And at times, we fill our lives with all sorts of good things that are not Jesus' highest priorities for us. You see, there are many good things you could do on a Sunday morning, but the best thing you could do on a regular basis on a Sunday morning is to be in worship with your family. Worship in serving the Lord in a Bible-believing and teaching church. That's the best thing we can do on a regular basis on a Sunday morning. There's many good things you could do aside from go to church. But Jesus says that's the best thing to do on a regular basis. There are many good books that you could read. There's marvelous, millions of of marvelous good books out there. But the very best book you could read is which one? I happen to have a copy right here. Do you have one today? That's the very best book that you could invest your reading time reading. There are many good things that you could devote your life to, but the very best thing you could devote your life to is the most important thing Jesus ever gave us to do that we put right on banner number one up there, sharing the gospel. It's the most important thing that any Christian could ever do. Lead someone who is dead and dying spiritually and lead them to Jesus Christ and allow them to experience salvation in Christ And once they're saved, to disciple them in their new Christian walk so they can grow in their faith and serve him also and tell others about him. You see, what is good is oftentimes the enemy of what is best. So Jesus' let the dead bury their own dead response had to do with priorities. But not only with priorities, his response about the dead burying their own dead also had to do with timing. And this one's so important. I want you to listen to what William Barclay has to say about Jesus' response to this man. See if you agree with what Barclay says here. He writes, The point Jesus was making is that in everything there is a crucial moment. If that moment is missed, the thing will most likely never be done at all. If we put off until tomorrow, it will all, in all likelihood never be done. Jesus urges us to act at once when our hearts are stirred. Do you agree with those words? Most importantly, does Jesus agree with those words? Let's break down a couple of those sentences that Barclay says, and let's look at them a little more closely. He writes, In everything there is a crucial moment. If that moment is missed, the thing most likely will never be done at all. I know I've missed a lot of important opportunities in life because I drug my feet and didn't respond when I believed the Holy Spirit was leading me to respond immediately and i've shared with you in past years probably 12 years ago maybe 15 years ago i was at the in and out in Hesperia. i think it was before they built the one in victorville that's my new favorite location and so i was at that in and out Hesperia, and i remember i'm just feeling this burden to share christ with someone to tell them about jesus and invite them to church and and i saw this guy over there and sitting across the way and i felt like god was telling me to share the gospel with him i said lord i don't know if this is you talking to me here so tell you what if, if I open my eyes right now and there's a French fry on the floor below him, I'll know, I'll take that as a sign from you. And so some of you remember the story. So I open my eyes and there's a French fry there. And I close my eyes again, Lord, I don't know for sure if that French fry was already there. And so if I open my eyes again and there's a second French fry, I'll know it's from you. I open my eyes and there's still just one French fry. And so I never went up to that man. 
And for the last 12 or 15 years, I've wondered, did I miss an opportunity that God had given me on that day at that moment that would not have come again? Timing is critical. When the Holy Spirit lays something on your heart, we have to respond to that timing. Jesus, Barclay writes, Jesus urges us to act at once when our hearts are stirred. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.19 that we should not quench the Holy Spirit. One of the ways we quench the Holy Spirit is by ignoring the Holy Spirit and putting off the Holy Spirit until tomorrow what He asks us to do today. Many millions of people will spend eternity in hell because they said to themselves, I will follow you, Jesus, tomorrow. And tomorrow never came. Many millions of Christians will spend eternity in heaven with precious little to show for their Christian lives here on earth because they similarly said, Jesus, I will serve you tomorrow. I will obey you tomorrow. I'll follow your Holy Spirit's prompting tomorrow and tomorrow for those many Christians never came. We dare not put off till tomorrow what God calls us to do today because He does not promise us tomorrow. Jesus' let the dead bury their own dead response had to do with priorities, but it also had to do with timing. When Jesus calls us to follow Him, we really only have two options of how to respond. We can either say, I'm not going to follow you, or yes, I will. Those are the only two options. When He says, follow me, we either say, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Many Christians say, well, there's really a third option. I'll follow you tomorrow. Many non-Christians believe there's this third option, I'll follow you tomorrow. And we need to understand, in no uncertain terms, Christians, that there is no third option. If you say, Jesus, I will follow you tomorrow, that's the exact same thing as saying, I will not follow you at all. There is no third option. You either follow Him when He says, follow me, or you don't. Those are your options. So I want to say, Christians, don't waste your lives prioritizing the temporary, temporary things of this world, even the things that seem good. Prioritize the most important things, the things that will last forever. Prioritize Jesus Christ. Prioritize His church and His mission. And the spiritually dead can go ahead and prioritize all those other good things. You as a follower of Jesus Christ, prioritize the best things. You understand Jesus' teaching here a little bit better? Amen? It's a powerful teaching. It's a hard-hitting teaching. But it's the one that every Christian needs to hear. Many Christians seem to have the idea as a Christian, I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. But pretty much I'm just going to do in life what I think is a good thing to do. And Jesus says, don't waste your time in life just doing what seems good to do. Spend your life doing the very best things because the life He gives us is precious and short and He is Lord and I am not. Third conversation in verses 61 and 62. Third conversation with a third man. This man needed to understand in no uncertain terms that a complete commitment to God's kingdom mission is what Jesus expects of him and what He expects of us. There in those final two verses of chapter 9, still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service 
in the kingdom of God. Once again, Jesus' words seem a little rude, don't they? Seem a little harsh. You look at that man's statement, let me go back and say goodbye to my family and then I'll come follow you. What's so wrong about saying that? That sounds pretty good. You bet, Jesus, I'll follow you. Let me just say bye to my parents, say bye to my family, and I'm with you. Doesn't seem like a big deal, does it? And some of us might even back up that response with uh, an Old Testament example. Remember Elisha? If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 19, Elisha was out there with his plow and his two oxen. He's plowing the field. And Elijah the prophet, remember Elijah, prophets of Baal, fire coming down from heaven. Elijah comes up and says, Elisha, here's my cloak. I just put it on you. You are going to take my place as the number one prophet in Israel. You are being commissioned to begin serving me right now. And I'm going to train you. You're going to be mentored by me until I leave and you're going to take over my position. And remember what Elisha said in response to Elijah? He said, I'll follow you. First, let me go back and kiss my parents goodbye. And Elijah says, go ahead. So isn't Elisha in 1 Kings 9 doing much the same thing that this man says he's going to do to Jesus here in Luke chapter 9? It seems the same. But if we read on in 1 Kings chapter 9, we find out it's a little bit different than that. There's a 1 Kings 19, I should say. It's a little bit different. You see, what happened with Elijah, Elisha, he went back and he did kiss his parents goodbye. But you know what he immediately did after that? He goes back to the fields where he had just been plowing. He takes his plow and he chops it into firewood. And then he takes those two oxen that were pulling the plow to plow his field, and he slaughters the two oxen, he cuts up the meat, he makes a fire with the plow wood, and he has this meal and basically burns his ships. That was his livelihood. And he destroyed his plow, he set it on fire, and he burned after slaughtering his oxen. He was saying, I am not looking back. I am not returning. I'm burning my ships. I'm never to return. This man here, as he responds to Jesus in the last two verses of chapter 9, is not doing that. Let me say goodbye to my family. He was not saying goodbye to his family. He was holding on to a priority that was more important to him than Jesus. And what does Jesus say in response? It says there in that final verse of the chapter, Though no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. Not fit for service in the kingdom of heaven. Elisha burned his ships. This man was not willing to do so. He was not willing to move on from his old life. Unlike Elisha, he was looking back. And Jesus says we can't look back. Let me ask you, how many of you miss, really, really miss the good old days? And you know what I'm referring to, right? The good old days? The good old days when you were nine months old and you were just, you were just crawling all over the place, you know, everywhere you went, just crawling all over your parents' house. If you need to go anywhere, you just, you miss those good old days, don't you? And man, that was great. You just crawled anywhere you wanted to go. And as you crawled, you just worked up those great calluses on your knees and Man, anywhere you wanted to go, you crawled, right? That was the life. That was the life, right? Okay, Dane, whatever. How many of you really missed the good old days? Not those. I was teasing with the kneecap thing. But, you know, how many of you missed the really good days? 
the good old days when you were one year old. And your parents, they chopped up all your food and gave you that mush and shoved it in your trap and you had it all over the place. And Man, that was living. That was living. You know, you'd be sitting there watching a show on TV and you had to do your business and you didn't need to waste your time going to the restroom, going to the bathroom. You just let it fly in your diaper. Dipe. That was living, right? Those were the days. You know what I'm getting at, don't you? Once you started walking... You didn't look back to those crawling days, did you? Because you experienced something that was so much better. Woohoo! I can go anywhere I want. It was a nightmare for your parents. But that was so much better than the way it had been before. And once you were potty trained, you didn't say, bring back the pampers, please. You didn't look back. And there probably hasn't been a day in your adult life, adult, adults here today, that you thought, man, those were the good old days. I wish I could go back to being nine months old. I wish I could be one month old, one year old again and eat the mush and that baby food that tastes like yesterday's garbage. You know, I, I really wish I could go back to those good old days. We haven't thought a day about it in our adult life. Teenagers, you've never thought about that. Why? Because it is so inferior to the life that we experience today. In much the same way Jesus is saying, once you leave your life of sin and separation from God, it's crazy to look back with a longing glance to your old dead life. If your old dead life seems that alluring to you, then stop even pretending to follow Jesus. You should just go back to it. Like a dog who returns to its vomit. You should just go back to it. You're not fit for service in the kingdom of heaven if the old life of sin is that alluring to you today after having tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So let's answer that important question that was the topic of our message today. What does it cost to follow Jesus? What does it really cost to follow Jesus? May I boil it down to this based on these six verses we've looked at today? If you want to know what the cost is to follow Jesus, here it is in a nutshell. It will cost you your sin. You'll have to give that up. You can't hang on to it. If you choose to follow Jesus, it will cost you your separation from God. You'll have to give that up as well. You can't be separated from God any longer if you follow Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, it will cost you your earthly possessions. You'll have to surrender your stuff to God for Him to use as He sees fit. Unlike the rich young ruler, God probably won't have you go out and sell every last thing you have. But He will for every single one of us say, your possessions that you have right now, you must hold with a very loose grip. I'll let you use them in the meantime. But as soon as they become an idol in your life and become more important to you and more time-consuming than the time you give me, I'll ask you to give it up. You can have the stuff for now, but hold it with a very loose grip. He'll ask for your possessions. And whenever he says, okay, enough of you, you need to give it to that other person. I'm so proud of our church. In the last five years, we have three different families that have given away a car to someone that needed one. I think that's pretty awesome. We're not that big of a church. We've got some really giving people in this church. Last five years, three vehicles. I think that's pretty awesome. Three different families. One just like one had all these junk cars sitting around and was just giving them away. We have some giving people in this church, and I thank you 
as you give generously to those in need. God lets you enjoy something for a while, and he says, okay, this person needs it more. Go ahead and give it to him if the Holy Spirit leads you to do that. Jesus says, if you really want to follow me, if you want to know the cost of following me, it will cost you your screwed up priorities and your procrastination. There's no room for screwed up priorities and procrastination in Christ's kingdom. If you want to follow me, Jesus says, it will cost you your plan B. This is so important. If you choose to follow Jesus Christ, then Jesus Christ is your plan A, right? And you've got to burn the ships. There is no plan B. Just like Elisha, when he went to follow that mission that God had for him in life, he burned his plow, he destroyed his oxen, and he said, no more, there is no plan B. I'm moving forward with what God is calling me to do, and I am not looking back. I don't even have the opportunity to go back because there is no plan B. You can't look back. There's no alternative. You follow and serve Christ with everything you've got or you don't follow him at all. He deserves nothing less than your very best. He deserves your everything. So let me ask you one last time. Do you have a blank sheet policy with Jesus? Do you have a blank sheet policy with Jesus? You sign your name on the bottom of a piece of paper. And you say, Jesus, you fill in the blanks. You write in the details. Whatever you ask me to give up, I will give it up. Wherever you ask me to go and serve, I will go and serve. Wherever you ask me to volunteer, I will volunteer. Whatever you ask me to do, I will do. When you tell me to worship, I will worship. When you tell me to pray, I will pray. Whatever it is you want me to do, God, whatever it is you want me to give up, wherever you want me to go, the sheet is blank, Jesus. It's all yours. You fill it in. I've already signed at the bottom. I'll do whatever you want me to do. You have a blank sheet policy with Jesus. Ultimately, he says that's what he wants. That's the cost of following him. Our salvation is free, but it came at a very high price. And once we choose to follow him, we don't just say thank you, Jesus, and go on about our business. We offer him everything because our Lord deserves nothing less than our everything. Lord, we come to you and we thank you. That even when we give you everything we've got to give, we still could never deserve your salvation. We never, Lord, could pay you back for what you did for us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that what you did for us on the cross is priceless, unrepayable, undeserving. Lord, you gave us your everything. And I pray that we, Lord, wouldn't patronize you by giving you less than our very best. Help us, Lord, to wrestle with these truths from your word. All of us here, Lord, do a lot of good things in life, but it's so easy to settle for what is good instead of going for what is best. Help us, Lord, to do the very best things you have us to do in this stage of our life. Help us not to procrastinate and say, tomorrow I will give you my best. Next week I will give you my best. When I graduate from high school, I will give you my best. When I get out into the workforce, I will give you my best. When I get out of this marriage, I'll give you my best. When I become a senior and I'm retired, I'll give you my best. Lord, may we not procrastinate what you're calling us to do today because you don't promise us tomorrow. 
Lord, may we be a church filled with your followers that say, Lord, I want to give you my very best today. And if you bless me with tomorrow, when tomorrow comes, I'll say the same thing tomorrow. Lord, today I give you my very best. And the day after that, and the day after that, until that day comes that you call us home. Lord Jesus, help us to be a church where together we prioritize the most important things. There's thousands of good things we can do as a church, Lord, but we don't have the time or the money or the resources to do most of them. Would you continue to clarify for our leaders, clarify, Lord, for our members and our attenders, O God, what the most important things are for us to do? Help us to count the cost and do them. Because, Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.